actually been recording a lot of the episodes just up there, and um, so we've been tracing through here, but it doesn't always look this glam, but uh, it looks really nice today. We're really happy to have you here. Um, so just to give you a bit of background, Real Talk with Real Mums is a health research board, mother and baby clinical trials network outreach initiative. I'm reading this because I tried to memorize it and I just can't. Um, supported by the RCSI Rotunda Research Department and funded by the Health Research Board through its Knowledge Exchange Dissemination Scheme. And I think it's really, I mean, I can say this because I'm from the outside, but I think it really is a true public service. Um, and it's, it's wonderful that projects like this are being funded in Ireland so that we can make sure that we're all on a, on a level playing field when it comes to knowledge heading into an experience like maternity and pregnancy and becoming parents. Um, so the Real Talk with Real Moms podcast, we started recording earlier this year. We've done 10 episodes. Uh, we've covered, I think, you know, a really wide area of subjects. We've talked about diet. We've talked about complications in pregnancy and delivery. We've talked about high-risk pregnancies. We've talked about mental health and parenthood. And um, we're really proud to have those 16,000 downloads and, and increasing all the time across three continents. So. Later on today, we're going to do a Q&A. You'll have a chance to ask our wonderful panel of mums who will introduce shortly some questions if you'd like to. Uh, we also have some experts in the audience and they will answer some questions for us too. And we also want to ask you some questions because the I mean, the whole basis of this podcast is about getting as many experiences as we can. And while we have a load of people in the room with experiences, we'd love you to contribute as well. So some of you might already have answered a question on Mentimeter, and we'll be reading those out later and uh, asking some more questions. Um, so there are also some question cards on the table. So if you can have a look at them and fill them out as well, we'll collect them later. Um, and of course, none of these episodes would be possible without the amazing mothers who have volunteered their time and also been really generous with their experiences. Sometimes positive, sometimes not so positive. Some things that are really difficult to talk about, but with that kind of continued sense of, you know, experience being the most powerful thing that we have, a willingness to share, we're, we're so grateful. And we've got our final three today here. And um, I just couldn't be happier to welcome you to the show. So um, let's get into it. Uh, this is uh, Nicola, Nadine and Sarah. Um, and Pilot is here on the stage with us as well. Absolute beauty, stealing the show, I think, Pilot. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Nicola, you have two children. Yeah, tell us a little bit about them. Um, so, I've Ke Tara is five and Keelan is three and a half. Yeah. And they're both Rotunda babies. Very run of the mill pregnancies, everything went fine, nothing extraordinary. I felt well throughout the whole pregnancies. And they're um, keeping you busy, those two? They're keeping me very busy, yeah. Okay, I'll come back to you in a second. <laughs> okay, sure. Um, Sarah, if you could tell us a little bit about your experience of parenting, how you came to parenting. Um, okay, um, I, my husband and I, from back many years ago, also decided we wanted to start a family. Um, my mum had two miscarriages and two stillbirths before I was born. I wondered would I have difficulties as well, and I did. And uh, we went through a 14-year um, journey of infertility, IVF, um, I had six miscarriages and I got to the point where we just had to, to draw a hold to it and but we really wanted to be parents and we looked at adoption and we were getting to the point where it was too old anyway and the process was, was so long um, and we met a social worker who said would you consider fostering and maybe long-term fostering um, so that's what we did. So just to 
let everybody know we're using a pseudonym for you today yeah. and for your son, um, just out of respect for the situation. Yeah, I, I suppose just to say that I'm very mindful and very conscious that um, this is our little boy's, it's his story as well, and while our stories intertwine, um, he has a right to his information, he has a right to tell his story and to tell people as, as he gets older, you know, he's got two mammies, he's got two daddies, whatever way he wants to present it. Yeah. And also I'm very conscious that there could be birth parents at home listening in as well or here and just be mindful of all that. So it's kind of a bit of a complex area to sort of navigate. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Thanks a million for explaining it. Yeah. Um, and Nadine, if you could tell us a little bit about your experience of becoming a parent. Hi, um, so my first child is actually squeaking at the moment, the three, <laughs> precocious three-year-old because his baby brother is down the end of the room. My son, Adam, is seven and a half months old and he is just the joy in my life. So. Yeah, and um, Pilot, obviously, big fan of Adam's as well. Extremely protective yeah. and it's fantastic. Um, you, can't, you can't make him do it, but yeah. there are times, obviously, when it's great if he'd be just a little bit chilled. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I suppose he can't have it all, can he? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, Nadine, let's just stay with you for a minute. So, you're a professional athlete. What did that mean in terms of your journey toward getting pregnant? So, I competed in the Paralympic Games in 2012 in London, and I had my first dog at the time. Um, I've since retired due to injury, as happens with a lot of elite athletes. What, what was your event? I was field athletics, so shot with discus and javelin. Uh -huh. Very physically demanding, and obviously then when I had the injuries and subsequent surgeries, I had to retire from professional sports. I'm still very much involved in sports, as I was beforehand. I have a passion for sports, obviously. Mm. So I'm not competing at the international um, events anymore, but I still am involved in different sports and competing within Ireland. Mm. That has gone on hold at the moment for the little man's arrival. And yeah, in advance of that, I suppose, professional sports is such, a, it's an all-encompassing 24-7. It's not a pastime. So it was my career and I had to make certain changes to my life. And, you know, there are, <laughs> there are things that you have to give up and stuff. So I said at the time, Timing-wise, it's not going to work to try and start a family and work towards the Paralympic Games. Yeah. So we put that on hold, and then the Paralympics are every four years, so it's a four-year cycle. So you have to kind of decide when is enough, when are you not going to go for the next four-year cycle? Yeah. And things just got so competitive, and then obviously with the injury, I had to stop anyway. So we decided then it was a good time to try, and I, I don't know if the word is luck, but we're fortunate enough now that we have our little man. So yeah. I know things could have been so much different. Yeah. And I suppose we'll talk about that. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I think sometimes um, when we talk about pregnancy, because we all, I think, go to great pains to be conscious of each other's journeys and the challenges that lots of women face. Um, I feel that myself. I was, I had cancer and I, after I, my treatment, um, I had some fertility testing and I was told that I probably wouldn't get pregnant naturally. Um, and it was absolutely devastating. And I've been, as you say, I don't know if luck is the word, but I've been so fortunate, I mean, I am fortunate. I've been so fortunate to conceive twice naturally since, um, but uh, it, it can be difficult to talk about those subjects when you're so conscious of the fact that other people are not so fortunate. 
Yeah. Um, okay, well, let's just, uh, just to get a little bit of everyone's situation. Nicola, tell me a little bit about, you said you had straightforward pregnancies, but when you were... <laughs> up to a point. Up to a point. So <laughs> tell me about that point. Um, so on Keelan then, three and a half years ago, at 39 weeks pregnant, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Just came totally as a major shock to everyone in our house because no family history or anything like that. And I'd been feeling really well, just apart from the fact that I was in my third trimester, so it was kind of normal tiredness, I as thought. As well as you can feel at 39 um, weeks, yeah. Yeah, but like just skipping back then a little bit, maybe around 36 weeks, I was literally just having a bath one night and was just washing around and felt a lump just on, out, on the outer side of my left, um, sorry, my right side it was. And so I went to the GP and she said, oh, it's probably just blocked milk duct or whatever. We were thinking, like, because there's no family history, there shouldn't really be a risk there. But she just wanted to err on the side of caution and um, sent me to the triple assessment breast clinic in Beaumont. And um, about a week and a half later, um, I got a call to come back in. And actually, I'd been there before because I'd had a cyst removed about five years before. So I was really expecting to be told the same thing. Yeah. But lo and behold, it was the bad news. So it was just like devastation. It was myself and my husband there, and we just couldn't really take on board what we were hearing. Yeah. Because like that, you're just getting so prepared and excited about the impending delivery of baby number two. And then I suppose thinking about my daughter at home as well, who was only 18, 18 months old. Yeah. Um, and we just had to like, we just transport your mind to a different place. Um, but, you know, in fairness, the team in Beaumont were amazing. Um, my consultant, Professor Arnie Hill, and he was straight in touch with the doctors in here. Yeah. And um, I didn't want to have a section because I was facing a mastectomy two oh. weeks after delivery. So I didn't want to have, you know, two lots of surgery back to back. Um, so we went for the induction route. So I went in on, thankfully, like Keelan was full term, at yeah. that point, so I didn't have to make that decision about treatment, which I know a lot of mothers have to, early stages of pregnancy. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he came by section in the end. The induction didn't work, yeah. but, um, you know, he's totally fine and no impact at all there. But what happened afterwards then was tricky enough in that, you know, I obviously had to face treatment. Yeah. And poor Keelan and Tara were dished out to anyone who'd take them kind of thing like but And when you were having, like, I had the experience, we mm. had similar experiences yeah. in, in that I had an induction which ended in a section as well. Mm. Um, and But you had that extra layer of knowing not only is this happening and it's not yeah. what I had planned or what yeah. I hoped for, um, but knowing that you had that surgery coming as well. Yeah. Was that on your mind in when as it was happening? Well, I can remember after, and you know, being up in the, um, the ward afterwards and thinking, this tumor is still inside me. And here's my little guy here, like, you know. Yeah. So I just, I remember phoning up the breast care nurse in Bowman saying, I need to get in there and get this out ASAP. And she was like, look, you don't need to be as panicked about it. We have it under control. You're coming in on X date. I just remember thinking, I need to get this gone Yeah. for my two little guys, you know, like yeah. just, and yeah, like I was sad, very sad because I was worried, like really, really worried. But yeah, I was trying to be positive for the child and everything. But um, it was very, very hard time. That's a lot to process yeah. at one time. And you know, I don't even think I really processed it all. It was just like I was in kind of fight or flight kind of thing. Yeah. And I was just getting on with what I was told to do and 
just knew like I had to face that and be strong for everybody. Yeah, so you had surgery and then treatment afterwards, did you? I had surgery first, yeah, yeah. and then I went on to have um, six months of chemo and yeah. then radiotherapy after. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's long. And I, I mean, I know myself, your chemo is exhausting yeah. and difficult and then radiotherapy is every day. Yeah. So how did you balance that with having a newborn? Well, actually, it was a great distraction, yeah. you know, having two young ones at home, like, because they just don't even give you time at that age, you know, to think about what was going on. So it was very much the days that I wasn't having treatment. I was just literally just getting on with being a mother, yeah. doing all the, you know, bits and pieces with help. Like, I had lots of help. And I have to say, like, I wouldn't have got through that whole period without friends and family. Yeah. And, like, you really know who your friends are when things like that happen. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, they're the doers, not the kind of... You know, people say, oh, can I do this? Or, you know, it's the people who actually do. Do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, so. Um, and then, like, Keelan is so good. He, he's not shy in any way. And I kind of credit that to the fact that he was literally sent out to anyone who'd take him. Yeah. You know, family and friends, obviously, not just any random stranger. But, like, he's... Is that bad? Because I've been giving mine to strangers. And <laughs> no. <laughs> whatever. Whatever makes them socially comfortable, yeah, that's, that's fine. Like, but he's really good mixer now. So yeah. I kind of think that might have been a pro from the situation that, like, yeah. he will actually just go and talk yeah. to anybody and, you know. And how are you now? I'm good, yeah. I'm good. I, I'm saying, like, I still have some tiredness that I kind of think is related to treatment, just a long-term effect of it. Yeah. But, um, I wonder about that, now. too, actually, yeah. yeah. But then I'm like, I'm, maybe I'm just exhausted. Or it, could be, it could be just being a mother, being a little bit older as well, yeah. maybe for me, and I work full-time, so yeah. like, I have lots of reasons to be tired. Yeah, yeah, that's but, what I um, say, too. It's just when you've, I don't know whether you feel like this, but if you've had cancer, the slightest ache or pain, you kind of go, oh, God, is this it back or, you know. Yeah. So it's that constant worry, which is not nice. No. But um, I think with time, time is a healer. And absolutely. And learn to trust your body again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it hasn't, really hasn't been that long. No. So surely since you finished your treatment, it's only been just, what, two and a half years? Yeah, about that. Yeah, so yeah. you're still, yeah. you've got time. It's Don't time. worry. <laughs> um, Sarah, can you just expand a little bit on um, how you actually came to be a foster parent? Because I think there's a lot of... Um, I think there's a bit of mystery around it. So maybe we could clear some of that mystery out. Yeah, um, I, I suppose, I think it'd probably be worth saying just in terms, there are, there's myths out there about who can foster and who can't. Um, and I know with the National Fostering Week, there was a lot more awareness, I think, raised around fostering. Um, I suppose maybe just to clear up some of the myths and you can foster if you're in a same-sex relationship. You can foster if you're retired, if you're single, if you're renting, if you're a homeowner, if you're working, if you're not. So um, really, I suppose, if it, it, the key is, you know, that you really want to give a good home to a child, and that's the most important thing. Um, and, I mean, do you want me to talk about how the, the, the process in terms yeah. of the fostering process? Yeah, whatever you're happy to share yeah. about your experience. Um, so I suppose it's just how the process worked for us, we contacted, or I contacted Tusla and said I was interested and somebody came around, it was a social worker who later on became our link worker. Um, she came around, met us and explained the process. So ironically enough, the process for us took nine months. So, you know, yeah. but... Um, <laughs> In that space of time, see, all the assessments would come would happen in our home. So she would arrange to come out and meet us, um, sometimes together as a couple, sometimes separately, individually, and 
lots of questions do get asked, but when you've gone through what we had gone through and what I'd gone through in terms of, you know, injecting yourself, I mean, doctor seeing all the back end of you and all the rest, you know, you and you can see why you're being asked. You understand why you've been asked specific questions. There's a bigger picture here. You know, social workers asking, asking some specific questions isn't isn't a problem. But you're asked about your parenting style, or for us, we weren't parents, so what did we think our parenting style would be? That's a and hard question. It is a difficult question, but it was really soul-searching, and there was a lot of time in between to reflect, mm -hmm. to reflect on, reflect on your own parents as well, and how you were parented, and your values, your beliefs. Um, and then through the process, then we would have, a, we had a foundation fostering course as well. Um, so that all it took nine months. Uh, she wrote a report. We got to review the report at every stage. Then that went to the fostering committee once we'd signed off on it. And there was a 12-member fostering committee. Mm. And then they approved us. So you get to meet them if you want to. But at that stage, the decision was already made. Yeah. Um, so actually, also, I suppose, we, we were very clear through the process as well that we would like to have a child long-term. So there's different types of fostering. There's long-term, short-term. Um, respite, um, uh, emergency care, which could be overnight. So you could be fostering long-term and you could end up taking a child maybe for a weekend or yeah. one weekend a month or something like that yeah. as well. So That's good to clarify, I think, because I think uh, I, in conversations I've heard people have, it's, oh, I could, I could never do that because I'd become too attached and then yeah. I'd have to say yeah. goodbye to the, to the child. Yeah. I but that, that's a really important point, though, because... At the end of the day, yeah, reunification is key. If it's all about the child and what's in the best interest of the child. So yeah. if it's in the best interest of the child to go back to their parents, then that's really important that that is the goal. Yeah. Um, for some children, that, that isn't possible. Um, but when it comes to being attached, you have to become attached. I mean, I love this little boy that's with us. He's, he calls me mummy. He knows he's got two mummies and two daddies. And, you know, through... Um, as he gets older, and even now, he knows his experience where, you know, in child-appropriate way, more guided. I have to say, Tusla have been really, really supportive um, in terms of the, the guidance they've been giving us, because they're, they call it Parenting Plus. There's, there's certain other challenges there when you are raising a child that has trauma, mm -hmm. and even a child who maybe have gone straight from hospital to a foster family, the fact that they're not with their birth parents is tragic. Yeah. Um, and that's a loss that they will get to know as they get older as well and come to terms with that. Um, but you do have to become attached. Um, and what my husband and I agreed was we would do this and we'd do it this once. It wouldn't kill us because we'd gone through so much already and we were stronger than that and we're 26 years together now. But we would do it. Maybe the child that came to us would go back home and if you did, then we'd have to think that was in the best interest of that child. Um, we would grieve. We might feel, that's it, we can't do this again. Or we may feel, do you know what, that was really, really tough. But he's, he's, he, no one has died. He's gone back to where he should be. Yeah. We can do this again. So right now we have one little boy with us. Um, he came to us at 17 months and he's with us. Uh, over four years now, and it is long-term. And I, Sorry, I should say as well, they, they do a long-term match as part of the process. So it was very, we were very clear through the process of, of, of the assessment that we wanted to have a child with us long-term. Mm. But again, people can do it for short-term short as well. Yeah. That's what they want. And so when you say long-term, 
how how do they know that a child will be will need care long term? Yeah, well, I <clears throat> I suppose you never really really know, but um, my understanding is sometimes, unfortunately, social workers will know there'll be a pattern of yeah. maybe mum has other children and they're all in foster care yeah. and she's pregnant again. Yeah. So it may be that, look, the chances are that child won't be going back, sure. you know, to their family. So, I mean, you're never, there's, never, there's no guarantees and you can say, absolutely, you know, the child will be with you forever. We don't know that. Mm. Um, but there's definitely, I mean, for us not having our own children, um, our own birth children, I, I suppose that's kind of the audience I'm reaching out to as well, that there are other couples like us who don't have their own children and that there is other ways of family creation. And like I said to my dad at the time, look, at the end of the day, we're all passing through this life. So if we can make somebody's life better and like he's made our life better, I mean, it's a win-win. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I was going to ask you, I was going to say, what was it like becoming a parent overnight? But then I realized that we all become parents overnight. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I, I was raised by my aunt and uncle, and I've always my whole life said, yeah, God, they became parents overnight. But now sitting here talking to you, I realized that the day after I had my son, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> this is insane. You know, I really felt it, like, you know, a seismic shift, obviously, in my life, and everything suddenly was yeah. different. And I suppose, I mean, it it's got to be the same. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for us, we had, um, he had been in a previous placement yeah. before he came to us. And there was that, um, I suppose, engagement with the previous family. So there, were, so we were doing things like, you know, what washing powder you, do you use so we can try and use the same? So we were trying to smooth the transition as yeah. much as possible um, when he came to us. But I mean, he's got very early memories and he'll, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, challenge. Well, that's yeah. the difference, is yeah. that, yeah, you, you you know, when you give birth to a child, yeah. that's the beginning. Yeah. Um, but when you foster a child, yeah. they have a yeah. life before you. This whole, this whole life yeah. before we ever met him, you know. Yeah. So, and, you know, and he'll, he'll sometimes say, you know, oh, I, I, I missed you when I was a baby, you know. So he obviously didn't, but he just kind of retrospectively, he's probably thinking that, you know. So, so yeah, but we, we're, we're all together now and... But it's really important that he knows about his family and yeah. his birth parents and that they love him as well. And that we're all, you know, one of the things we explain is like, we're all together as a family in our home, but then Nanny and Grandpa, they live in their home. And, 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 your, and your birth mom and dad, they live in their home. And, you know, so that it's, it's a bigger sense of family. So yeah. that was one of the things I think that's, that surprised me initially through the training was that, I don't know, in my head, I thought, oh, right, so social workers will come in and explain to the children why they're in foster care. No, it's, it's you as the, as, as the foster mum and dad. You're the ones, because the idea is that you're close, closest to the child in terms of you're at home with them all the time, yeah. and they build that bond with you. So Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, um, and you should be the person that they trust. Yeah. 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 Wow. Thank you so much. It's really, really interesting to hear about that experience. Um, and it sounds like you've got something really beautiful with Sam. So. Yeah. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Nadine, um, so tell us, well, I suppose Pilot is here because you are visually impaired. You have a visual impairment. So what impact did that have on your pregnancy and your preparation for becoming a parent? I was registered blind 15 years ago, so I was a young adult at the time. Right. And I had, until that point in my life, been raised as sighted, went to school, reading, writing, and thought that 
that was just my future because most of us don't question these things. You just no. accept what you have and you're, you're not, you don't even feel grateful for it because you don't think it could ever really change. Yeah. It did change, obviously, and I was always going to be a mother. I didn't know how or when, but by hook or by crook, I wanted to be a mum and have my own child or children or whatever. And yes, I went through a terrible time after being diagnosed and, you know, thought that there was no future. And then when I got to grips with thinking maybe there is a future, I thought, why can't I be a mum? Mm. There's an awful lot out there that says you can't, you're not good enough for whatever reason. Everybody has a different life and different experiences. Some people are maybe too young, some people are too old. There's so much out there. And I decided, no, why would I let other people limit what I know I'm capable of? Mm. And still, you know, on daily, daily challenges that people will question capabilities. But I don't think anybody should be questioning others' capabilities if they don't know the situation, you know, unless yeah. they're a medical professional or something mm. like that. So it was a long-term process that I had planned and how would I manage and what would I do? And an awful lot of it is just being a mum. So yes, I am blind, but I'm a mum first. Yeah. And the similarities between my life and most mums are m far greater than any differences. Yeah. Still have to change the nappies, still have to, you know, get up, I'm breastfeeding, so I still have to feed. Um, Adam is on solids now, so we're still dealing with him getting to grips with it and there's going to be mess with a child beginning to eat anyway. Yeah. So I think sometimes people can see a lot of the differences but not the similarities. Mm. So there was a great team at the Rotunda, there was a lot of help and we asked for it. My partner's also blind so we just, you know, I, I'm not shy about saying I'm blind, here's some things that might help, here's some things that won't help. Yeah. And I think because I'm kind of a self-advocate, it does help situations that yeah. people don't necessarily feel as awkward. Yeah. And yes, my little um, alarm system here <laughs> tells me um, lots of things to help with Adam and we get out and about. We don't drive is the only thing yeah. that I can think of. Um, but sure, lots of parents don't drive. Exactly, yeah. exactly. My husband doesn't drive. <laughs> But we get out and about, we've been on holidays together, all four of us abroad, and to me, life just, obviously, it was a whole new life, but life was always going to go on. The same as when I got my dogs, they had to somewhat fit into my life. Yeah. So with having a baby, obviously, it was a whole new life, but it didn't mean I was going to be stuck at home. Yeah. I wouldn't want that, and I wouldn't want that for a child, you know, they need to see that mum and dad go out and work and, you know, have a life and stuff like that. So yeah. it's just juggling, same as every parent does. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned they're self-advocating. And I think in a way that's something that lots of, lots of people struggle with as parents, asking for help, realizing that they need help. Um, but it sounds like that's something that you're very comfortable with. And I'd say that's probably a great asset to, to you and would be to any parent. It is, but I have had a journey yeah. to get to that point. So of we're course. 15 years later. Yeah. Um, but definitely now it has completely sw switched gear because I'm not advocating for me. I'm advocating for my child yeah. and for his future and for how he's seen because I don't want him to be seen as a carer mm. for his mum or his dad or he's a child. We are his carers. 
Yeah. You know, so it, as any, again, as any new parent does, you're advocating for your child, so you need to speak up for them. And, you know, it, it's an instinct. Is there anything, you mentioned there that there are people who would make judgments. Um, is this something that you experience from strangers? Would you like to tell us a little bit about that? I have had some absolutely amazing experiences of support, camaraderie, help within the hospital. Yeah. Um, and again, with friends and family and things like that. And then on the flip side, yes, there are times when I don't have that support. And then there are times when I have completely the opposite, that it's not helpful. I try to focus on the positives. But yes, obviously, the, the other side does affect me. Mm. As I'm sure it does with other people. It's just a very, pardon the pun, but it's a very visual thing that you look at me, you see the dog or something like that, and you see I'm blind. But again, there's so many people that have so many different things that they're dealing with or managing or juggling. Yeah. It's, I just think mine is such an obvious. Yeah. So let's say sitting on a bus, you know, and, and somebody might make a comment or something. And unfortunately, I have perfect hearing, yeah. which some people forget. <laughs> they automatically assume your hearing is impaired as well. But look, I would do and give and go through anything for my little man. It's, yeah. it's just not important on the scale of things. No, I, it's just interesting because we were talking actually earlier um, about judgment and advice and how the minute you become pregnant, it seems like everybody's got something to say about what you should and shouldn't be doing and what you should be doing with your child. And oh my God, if it's not someone in your family, it's a stranger on the street. So you've got that, I feel like, times a million. So nothing but respect to you for having not murdered anyone yet, basically. <laughs> um, thank you so much. It's really interesting to hear about that experience. And I, I know we, we mentioned in another episode that there are services is available within the Rotunda Hospital, but also within other hospitals around the country for people with, with any kind of extra need, um, whatever it is. And, and as we said, it really is just about asking for it, knowing that the help is there. I mean, I have learned so much through doing this podcast series about what is available. And I, I do genuinely feel like no matter what your, your issue is, whether it's, you know, to do with mental health or physical health or a disability or, you know, any, any kind of additional need, um, there is support there. So if you're listening and you're thinking, oh, I could really do with a bit of extra support on X, Y, or Z, just ask. I mean, really do ask, um, and, and it's there if you want it. Um, okay, so we've asked our audience to fill out some cards about their best and worst parenting experiences and maternity experiences, from tantrums in the supermarket to explosive nappies. Um, so I'm going to put the same question to you guys. <laughs> Nicola, you're laughing. <laughs> I am on the spot now. Oh, I've had plenty of tantrums. Yeah, and um, I say people always say, "Oh, I have one dream child and I have one nightmare." Like I kind of do have that situation. Like um, we always call Tara the Carlsberg child because she was just, just so easy to manage, and then she was the only one at the time. But then Keelan came along, and like he's very outgoing, as I've said. Like he's he'll chat to anybody, but he's another side that he's a dark side. Yeah. <laughs> Where if he doesn't get his own way, he just literally. The tantrum, when you said tantrum, I just think about him like it's every time in a supermarket when he doesn't get what he wants off a shelf. The usual, like, you know. And it's so hard, isn't it? Because before you become a parent, I think, I feel like I never knew so much about parenting mm. as I did before I actually became a parent. <laughs> like, you know, you look at people and you're like, my child will never, I wouldn't yeah. allow that. My child will never be like that. And then you find you're the one yeah. in the supermarket with the, dragging the child out the door. Yeah, yeah, I probably would have said like 10 years ago, oh, just 
lift him up and get him out of here. Like, yeah. you know, like you have to get the shop done as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it's not that easy. Exactly. Yeah. But, um, I'm with yeah. you there. Actually. Not that I haven't had any like major dramatic incidents. What about your best? Um, well, I suppose uh, my little one has started school now, so that was my real proud moment, seeing her in her uniform. Like, I know they're all very cliche, but like, that to me was just like, oh, especially with being sick and everything, I was just like, I've made this day, like, you know, yeah. it was really important for me to see her this September, and she's like, and like, he's going to be starting next year, so like, you know, time flies with babies, like, yeah. the babies and then they're, they're, they're children, like, you know, yeah. going to school, so it's just, I just want to cherish every moment, like, yeah. and I kind of feel a bit guilty sometimes about working full time. I wish I had more time to spend with them because the time just goes so fast. Yeah, with my first, I had a, quite a hard time, as I've said repeatedly, people who listen to every episode are like, yeah, yeah, Louise, we know. Um, I had <laughs> quite a hard time adjusting to motherhood um, with my older son. Um, and uh, I really remember people saying, oh, you know, the days are long, but the years are yeah. short. And like, you know, time goes by so quickly. And I was always like, this time is not going by yeah. quickly. <laughs> time cannot go by fast enough. But, but it this is time, true. it's different. Yeah, yeah, now I have my, my younger son seeing the two of them together. I've realized how quickly Sam is growing and how quickly that time is going mm. by. And yeah. Ted has been, it seems like I snap my fingers and he's six months yeah. old. It is mad. But I, I just am conscious of the fact that if there's someone listening and you're thinking, I don't want time to go any more slowly, um, don't worry, you're not alone. <laughs> Other people feel like that too. Um, what about your best and worst moments, Sarah? Um, yeah, I, I can't kind of pinpoint one <laughs> either either way. Um, worst moments. Um, I think the worst moment is seeing him sad, yeah. seeing him suffer, and uh, when I say suffer, I mean just you know trying to come to terms with big stuff. I think that's. I just want to take all that away and just cuddle him. Um, and, and one of the things I've been learning is to, that my job is to make him not dependent, but independent and to help him build that resilience. And I suppose the other side of that then is seeing, seeing him resilient and seeing him just mature. Because we often see the children in, in foster care, they, they kind of grow up a little bit quicker because yeah. they end up experiencing things a little bit differently and things being explained and all that. So, um, I suppose the best moments is just, is it like, it's just being a mum. Just, yeah, bring, bring see the, the, the Christmas lights the other day and I was starting to well up thinking, I never thought I'd see the day that I'd be doing this or standing, freezing the side of a football pitch, you know, <coughs> he's five. Yeah, so the long road ahead. But yeah, it's, it's, it's just those little things. But for me, it's also, I, I, I suppose it's a bit of guilt or kind of like tinged with kind of, because I feel bad, you know, I'm enjoying this and I'm very conscious that if things were going the right way, he wouldn't be with us, you know, yeah. all things being good in his life, that wouldn't have happened. So it's, I'm very conscious of giving him choice, letting him feel in control because there's so much, you know, when he came to us, he didn't have any control, you know, yeah. so yeah, so it's, it's, yeah, it's kind of a... Yeah, it's complicated. It, yeah, that's yeah. a good line, it's complicated. But it's, I mean, it sounds like you really are clearly very considerate of all the different mm. aspects of it. Yeah. yeah. Kind of have to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. You know? So it's, uh, I mean, there's, there's things that are challenging. I mean, when you want to, you know, he, he, there's a, I don't know, an outing and for school, I can't sign the documentation, you know. 
once he's with us for five years, we can then look to apply for enhanced rights through the courts. So things like, you know, uh, uh, signing for him to, to, to go on a school trip or something, that we can do that. Um, but I mean, it's just kind of additional things you need to think about because he hit his head one day and thought, oh my God, there's so much blood from the forehead. Couldn't believe it, a towel and it was still bleeding. But um, I ended up bringing the ambulance to, to bring him to Temple Street. And uh, when we got there, it was like, right, okay, now I need to contact Tusla. So I'm, it was after hours, because these things always happen, you know, but I have to say, you know, after hours, but I have to say they've been brilliant. So I kind of send out this massive text to our link worker, her team leader, Sam Social Workery, his team leader, you know, just let you know this has happened. Yeah. Um, but they all came back, you know, just saying, are you okay? Is everything all right? And then they deal with, with them, the, the parents then, like, but it's, it's that additional thing you need to yeah. think about. But extra just, layers. Yeah. Extra oh. layers of emotion <laughs> and things to consider and then extra layers yeah. of logistical considerations. This is yeah. it, yeah. Um, but I mean, we don't know any different. Like, and even yeah. like friends of ours have their own kids and say, you have to sign, you have to get that signed for it. But that's mad. And I was like, well, it is what it is. And they were like, but that's crazy. And I was like, well, yeah. this is our lived experience. Yeah. We don't know any different. And I'd like to do it again and again and again to yeah. have the experience of being this little boy's Mum, yeah. forever mum. That's <laughs> so, great. Yeah. Um, Nadine, what about you? Best and worst moments in your seven and a half months? The best moment, I had a plan C-section, was just hearing that cry. Um, it's, it's a very simple thing, but just... Yeah. It was, it was the absolute beginning of the madness, and I welcome it. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, things can get tricky and... At half four in the morning, you're not saying, oh, I'm so lucky. <laughs> but again, the overall picture, um, I'm just taking everything that comes. And there are some times I sit back and I say, what am I doing? How am I going to do whatever? Yeah. And it could be get through the next hour of teething. Yeah. Or it could be bigger than that. But it's, I'm just trying to enjoy it because, like we said, it's gone so fast. I tried to make a pact when he was a newborn and say, please don't grow. Just say this <laughs> tiny, cute, little, perfect. I have those exact conversations with my six-month-old. Yeah, it didn't work. You're so. not going to get any bigger, are you? No, work. you won't. And then I realized, of course, I want him to grow and develop yeah. and to share the moments and guide him and all the rest of it. So we're, we're taking it as it comes and absolutely just, it's, I'm the happiest I've ever been in my life as a mum because it was such a journey towards wanting it forever. Yeah. You know, this wasn't a nine-month pregnancy. This yeah. has been, I'm 36 now, so this is a long-term plan. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Happy mum. Yeah, that's really nice to hear. Really nice to hear it. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to open it up to you guys now. There are some cards in front of you, so if you want to fill in... Um, we're going to talk about advice a little bit later. If you want to fill in your best and worst pieces of advice that you've gotten, because we did say earlier that, yeah, you get a lot of advice, but some of it is good. Mm -hmm. So let's try and share some of that today. And then um, we are going to go around and collect those cards now in a moment. And then in the meantime, if anybody has a question for our moms, just stick your hand up. Any questions? Anybody? The first question is always the most awkward. Any questions for our mothers? Okay. 
not to worry. Before we move on, actually, I just wanted to give out, just in case anyone is listening to Sarah talk about her fostering experience, um, I just wanted to let you know that Tusla are the people to contact about fostering. You can also just go to fostering.ie, which is not hard to remember, fortunately. There's a free phone number as well, 1800-226-771. That's 1800-226-771, or you can email Tusla dot fostering at tusla.ie, but fostering.ie seems like the simplest way to get the information and uh, make inquiries if you want to. So we've got some of our best and worst advice here. The best, this one's, this is, they ringed best. So said a lot of advice you'll receive will contradict other advice you hear, that's so true. And um, that's because every pregnancy, mother and baby is different. Take it all with a pinch of salt and uh, don't focus too much on anything that doesn't suit you. That's very good advice. Um, this is more about, oh, we're all very positive now. Um, more good advice to get out and enjoy my free time while I still had it. Go to the cinema, go for long walks alone. Only now do I realize how amazing that advice was. Plus sleep, get all the sleep you can get. Wouldn't it be great if you could stockpile sleep? Like actually, if you could just sleep and keep it in reserve to access down the line. Alas, we cannot. Um, this one is good, yeah, this is more good advice. Don't veg out, don't freak out and keep breathing. Um, very good. I think I, I, the best advice that I got wasn't, it was in a book, you know that book, um, What to Expect from the First Year? That, it's a really famous book or whatever. Um, and when my first child was about nine months old, I decided to flick through it because that makes sense. Um, and there's a page kind of toward the back and the, someone had written in a question and this was a response to the question. And the question was, um, I like to do this with my child and I'm very careful about schedule and you know, I make sure that he eats at the same time every day and he naps at the same time, but my friend doesn't at all. She just does different every day and whenever the baby falls asleep, the baby falls asleep. And um, the answer was, uh, you know, what works for you works mm -hmm. for you. What works for your friend works for your friend. And as long as your baby is healthy and happy, then it really doesn't matter uh, what way you're doing it. And that was such an eye-opener for me to realize, oh, there's not a right way. <laughs> I feel like I had been kind of browbeating myself for the previous nine months, feeling like, oh, the book says that you have to do this. Mm. And she says, if you don't, like if you hold him when he's going asleep, then he, like, the sleep will be ruined forever. And you know, he's seven months and he hasn't really eaten solids yet because he doesn't want to. And you know, all the rules, realizing that actually, you just have to figure it out yourself and kind of do what works for you. Rosemary's nodding down there, Rosemary, mother of 11. And so if anybody knows, it's Rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it is. That for me was a big one. Um, so we also have, I'm gonna, we're going to come back to this in just a little bit, but we also have some experts in the audience. Um, so we have Sinead Curran, who is a dietitian from the National Maternity Hospital in Hollis Street. We have Leah Bryant, who's a physio from Hollis Street. Sue Hogan, who's the midwife manager in the parent education department here in the Rotunda. And Dr. Jen Donnelly, consultant obstetrician in the Rotunda are here. So we've been sent some questions from listeners over the series, so we thought now would be a good opportunity to ask them. So experts, I hope you are ready. Um, we're gonna start with Sue. So let's get you the microphone. The question is, if a mom is interested in home birth, uh, which is actually something, as a, we've been doing this podcast, it's something that I've gotten a good, a good few questions on Instagram and the like about um, home births. So if a mom is interested in doing a home birth, what should be her first port of call? Um, hi. Hi. <laughs> um, I'd probably suggest she goes on the hse.ie website 
Um, and when she gets on there, she searches National Home Birth Services and up will come a page. And on that page, they'll be able to review kind of what would be eligible criteria for home birth. So I suppose they can even just have a breeze through it and see if they think they might be in the right category. Um, then what they need to do is contact a designated midwife officer in their area. All that information and all those contact details are on that page as well. Um, once they've linked in with the designated midwife officer, then they're going to link in with the um, self-employed community midwife, the home birth midwife. Um, they're going to link in with their GP and they're going to link in with their maternity hospital. Um, but and all the names of the home birth midwives are on that hse.ie page as well. So okay. they should everything they need there. Super. Okay. Um, and then we have another question for you as well. We have heard that there is a certain point of pregnancy after which you shouldn't be sleeping on your back. Is that true? Yeah, so I'd say from about 20 weeks, you know, when you've kind of noticed that you've got a bit of a bump, it's starting to get a little bit heavy. Um, if you're to lie on your back, um, you have a, a big blood vessel called your vena cava that travels up to your heart. Um, and it's just if the weight of your pregnancy is, I suppose, putting pressure on that, might make you feel a little bit lightheaded, a little bit faint. Um, so the best thing to do is sit on, lie on your left side, and that's going to take that pressure off that vessel, and you're just going to be much more comfortable. Um, sometimes women, they kind of panic, like, what happens if I roll over on my yeah. back by accident <laughs> while I'm asleep? Um, you could put a little pillow even just behind your back, and that'll yeah. just remind you, even if you're just at a tilt, that'll be fine. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's good to know. I was just gonna say, I always, the one I, during my last pregnancy, I kept waking up on my back. I just, I did not know about the pillow tip. That's solid, thank you. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sue. Um, next, we have a question for Leah, who again is a physio from Hollis Street. Uh, where is Leah now? Oh, she's not here, very good. Um, no worries. <laughs> Uh, Jen, Jennifer Donnelly now, who, as I said, is a consultant obstetrician here in the Rotunda. Now, I already had an opportunity to ask you a million questions, but these are the questions from our listeners. So, what are the contraception options following birth, uh, long and short acting? I mean, there's many different contraceptive options depending on maybe what you've already used before, prior to pregnancy, what you've been comfortable with, how many children you've had, when you're planning perhaps your next pregnancy, or if you don't know when your next pregnancy is going to be, obviously straight away after having a baby, but you want to prevent getting pregnant anytime soon. So those are all factors to consider. And I think, you, sh you know, we should be discussing contraception during pregnancy as well as just at the postpartum kind of six-week uh, review, particularly not necessarily just at, after the time of birth when there's so many other things going on, um, but always the thought of contraception so close to birth, people think, oh my God, you know, I couldn't possibly have another baby just yet. That's the last thing on my mind, having sex now. I couldn't possibly need any contraception, but, you know, <laughs> you'd be surprised. Like, everyone would be ready at a different time. So it's better to be prepared if you want to really prevent pregnancy. So, you know, be the pill, the mini pill, which is a progesterone-only pill. Coils are a really excellent long-term option. Um, or for people who want to space their pregnancies who absolutely don't want to get pregnant again. Um, and then for people who've completed their families, if they're having a cesarean section, they can consider having their tubes tied. And then also, actually, the most effective contraception is, is a vasectomy. So if your family is complete, um, then it's definitely worth talking to dads about vasectomy. And they often feel squeamish thinking about those kind of things. But it's definitely worth putting it on the agenda. And particularly, this is a thing to do antenatally um, so that they have some time to think about it before, mm. before they have to make any decisions. And just because I heard this casually mentioned in a conversation recently, and I could not believe that people are still thinking this, but breastfeeding is not contraception, is it? 
So breastfeeding can cause what's called lactational amenorrhea or no periods related to breastfeeding, but it's definitely not a reliable form of contraceptive. So you can still ovulate while you're breastfeeding. So if you don't want to get pregnant, don't use breastfeeding as your only method of contraception. Okay, we've got one more for you. Yeah. Are there any symptoms or issues that you see a lot that seem alarming, but are actually quite common? I, well, never Gormick asked that question, I was kind of, or he kind of had said that you might ask. So I was kind of thinking a lot about what kind of symptoms, because many people will have so many different symptoms kind of during their pregnancy and postpartum. But I suppose one thing people often find antenatally is some breast milk leaking during pregnancy, and they can be quite concerned about that, but that's quite common quite normal and once it's just clear breast milk and uh, normal color breast milk there's no need for concern at all and um, if it was blood stained or kind of an unusual color then that is potentially something to be concerned about but regular milk leaking is absolutely fine and then also following the birth I suppose two things struck me one was uh, if you have a vaginal birth having some urinary symptoms some incontinence or and um, that that can sometimes be very worrying to to women in those first few days but many women will have an element of incontinence postpartum that will actually resolve within a couple of days or weeks and it doesn't mean a long-term issue so that's one thing that's quite important and also then leg swelling I remember I experienced that myself it got worse after the baby was born I was like I saw this supposed to go away and it does but once then but that's something that you kind of think oh yeah the swelling it's going to be done now but it gets a little bit worse before it gets better okay thank you so much Next up, Sinead, a question for you. Uh, Sinead is a dietitian from the uh, National Maternity Hospital on Hollis Street. Hello. <laughs> so, Sinead, it's coming up to Christmas. It's party time. Excellent. What are the foods to be avoided, and what are the misconceptions surrounding some food for women in pregnancy? I think people get very um, worried about what not to eat um, and we're always trying to emphasize just not to worry so much about what not to eat just focus on getting the good stuff in um, at parties and things I suppose that random trays of canapes um, that might have been left sitting out a bit they're not going to be particularly appealing anyway but the key issues in terms of foods to avoid in pregnancy or anything that could carry a bacteria that could be problematic um, so things like smoked salmon or mold ripened cheeses um, they're the main things in terms of party food. Um, otherwise, when something is cooked fairly well and it's served good and hot, uh, eat it and enjoy it and have a nice time at Christmas and don't be worrying too much about it. Do you parties. think people do worry too much? I, I really, really do. Then there's some people maybe who could pay a bit more attention, but in general, in general, food is such a, a contentious issue for, for, for women. Um, and you become, as you alluded to yourself, you become a bit of public property uh, yeah. when you're pregnant and people kind of seem to make all sorts of judgments about what they see dietitians eating no more than what they see pregnant women eating. So it's just, it, it, it's, most people are doing fine and most babies are getting plenty of nourishment. Um, there are some things that are worth paying attention to, like most, everybody does need a folic acid supplement and the more recent advice is that you maybe should continue that throughout pregnancy. Um, everybody needs a, a supplement of vitamin D and you should continue that like actually that's all the time because we just don't get enough sun, sunlight but you need a little bit extra in pregnancy and um, if you're eating regularly and you eat more vegetables pay attention to sources of iron which would be things like red meat and uh, if you don't eat animal products then um, you know getting it from lentils and beans and things like that but it's fairly straightforward stuff generally and people get very hung up on, I, we get questions like, I ate this one thing once, um, yeah. will it have harmed my baby? And the answer is almost certainly not. Mm -hmm. um, 
having said that, listeria can be a problem, so it's just to be mindful of the advice. And I would suggest just go to safefood.eu. That's going to have the most up-to-date um, information on food safety. Mm. So safefood.eu around you know cooking and and uh, food safety, and in general in terms of nutrition, eating regularly and eating more vegetables and focusing on sources of iron are the three key messages that would be worth remembering when you're pregnant and not to worry as much about particular aspects of nutrition unless you've got good reason to. Okay, super. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay, I'm just going to go through some more of your uh, best and worst advice. Thank you for all your contributions. Who has a nice pink pen? Because there's loads of pink up here. Very <laughs> enjoyable. Um, okay, best advice. Remember to eat well after labor because food helps the body heal. Worst advice, make a birthing plan. It goes out the window when you go into labor anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, time really goes by so fast. Enjoy every minute because you won't get it back. There you go. And don't compare yourself or your child to others. Just do you. I think if there's anything that's a resounding message of today and indeed every episode we've done that's it mayvon has got her hand up we're just gonna ask one other quick question to fergal o'shaughnessy who's a pharmacist here in the rotunda absolutely just about me medicines in pregnancy fergal yeah. so if i'm someone who's taking medication long term and i find out i'm pregnant what do i do next thank you I suppose the most important thing to remember is that many women take medication when they're pregnant or before they're pregnant. Um, and the most important thing is that they seek advice from whoever prescribes that medicine. So that may be their obstetrician, that may be their GP. Um, and in many cases, women continue to take their medication with the support of their prescriber. So that's the most important thing is to seek advice from whoever is prescribing that medication. And it's very normal to take certain medications during pregnancy. Okay, super, thank you. Um, th I have one here that uh, is about the best advice. It says, tell your husband what's in the baby bag. Who gave us this? Who submitted this one? Do you want to share a little bit about why that is good advice? <laughs> why do you need to tell your husband what's in the baby bag? Um, well, I went for an operation straight away after having my first baby. And it was, I didn't realize it was going to happen. So he hadn't packed the baby bag and I hadn't discussed anything about what I'd put in. And I was a 10 pounder, so I had put in uh, newborn baby girls, I'd put in not three months, I'd put in bigger, because I was just like, first baby, don't know what to expect. I put in vests, I put in hats, and hadn't shown him any of it. So when I went in for the operation and then recovery, I was gone for most of the night, and he was left with a newborn and had never seen a vest before. <laughs> Didn't know what size baby girl or hat. So for the next baby then, and he knew exactly what was in the bag, and yeah. he tells every new dad now, no, what's in the baby bag, no, what's in the baby bag. <laughs> So it's just, so they're part of it as well. Yeah. I just took it on myself to pack everything. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And because no outfit really is considered as much as that first outfit. So no. I think if exactly. I came out and my baby was wearing the wrong outfit after me planning it, I'd be raging. And that's exactly what I said. I was like, how the hell did you put her in that? You know? <laughs> but uh, the other piece of advice was I put everything in uh, sandwich bags yeah. and marked them with the size. So you knew, right, that was all the newborn and that was all the naught to three. And it just meant you could just grab a bag and... Yeah, you had it there. So. I think especially with the, your first baby as well, because you have so much time to plan and think, and yeah, it's a little bit more slapdash for me the second time. But mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you very much for that. Thank you. Um, this one says, uh, "Best advice: Babies are designed to survive new parents." So I think that's solid. Yeah, <laughs> realizing that they're quite resilient and actually it's relatively hard to break them, I think is, is a good one as well. And then this one says the worst advice is just relax. Good advice, but terrible advice. Who feels more relaxed after being told to? <laughs> nobody, nobody. And I think that goes for life, like not just in pregnancy. Um, thank you very much. Okay, so 
Now, we have asked, uh, we asked you to answer some questions on the Mentimeter, and we asked you to answer some before you came here today. Um, so one of them was to tell us about the most memorable parenting or pregnancy or parenting experience. Um, so we have some of them here. Um, this is beautiful, but look, guys, you know, we have to share everything while we're here together. Um, someone's child uh, pooped in their pants, uh, didn't say anything about it for the entire day. By the time they got there, it was rock hard. Um, sorry, sorry to hear that. Um, next one says, uh, seeing two lines on the pregnancy test because from that moment on, everything changed forever from the first test, which I was expecting a positive to the last one, which was a total shocker. Each moment is so memorable on the journey of parenthood. It is, I mean, that is a wild moment, isn't it? Do you remember your, doing your pregnancy test? Where did you do them? I did it alone. I didn't do it with my husband. <laughs> And then I left them under his pillow. <laughs> so you might want to check under the pillow. But my two were planned, thankfully, and yeah. everything was fine. Like, but uh, So I think it wasn't the biggest shock, but I think it's the reality of this is actually happening. Like, yeah. you know, so, especially on the first. I did my first pregnancy test in a cubicle in RT Radio Centre. <laughs> oh, on my own, obviously. Yeah. Um, because I really, I had been told I probably wouldn't be, yeah. get pregnant. So I... I I don't even know where I had them. I had, they were in my drawer at work. <laughs> Obviously from some scare at some stage. Um, and yeah, I had come home and I was like, oh, I just feel a bit weird. I'll just take this test and then I'll know that I'm not and I can stop thinking about it. And then I was and I had to go and do my show. I was like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, there's no, maybe there's no perfect place. Do you remember where, what your situation was, Nadine? Absolutely, yes. Um, my partner and myself, I, I said, mm, there's something here either I'm pregnant or I need to go see the doctor anyway because there's something wrong. Um, took the pregnancy test and because we're both blind, we literally couldn't read it ourselves. Yeah. So we had to use a piece of assistive technology to basically ring a stranger because we want the anonymity, whatever the, yeah. whatever the answer is. It's a private moment. That it's not a friend or family member going, ah, oh, you're yeah. pregnant. So it was a complete stranger and the two of us were standing there with our mouths open and this complete stranger was like, congratulations, it's a positive. Oh, gosh. <laughs> And it's absolutely fantastic. But there is always the possibility that you were hoping it wasn't a positive. Yeah. yeah. So assistive technology, fantastic um, for us. Yeah, gave us months before we ever had to tell anybody. Yeah. And then we were happy to share the joy after the first scan. And so again, it's all about independence. And yeah. it was great for us. And Sarah, I know it's not the same, but uh, do you remember when you learned that you, you'd been approved and that you were going to be able to become a foster parent? Uh, yeah. Yeah. How did you feel? Um, very emotional. Mm. Very, very emotional. Um, and at that stage, we just didn't know what the next step was. And, and we, were, we were told to give ourselves some time because once you said, I'm ready, you'd get the call yeah. there and then to say, okay, now, you, you know. So um, I was doing a master's at the time. So the only condition the committee said was that I had to get my, my thesis in on before I fostered, just to get that out of the way. Yeah. So, handed in my thesis, waited a week to ring our link worker to say, okay, let's go. ready. And within, I think the next day, we actually got a call to say, look, we have a plan in place. And um, we, we met with this little boy's social worker, and then a plan was put in place. So it was, again, an extremely wonderful transition plan that was, um, spearheaded by the psychologist who has 
vast experience in, in working with children who have been traumatized or mm. going through trauma, um, just in terms of the transition. So he came to us for a few days um, overnight. We went to see him where he was. It's not going to be like that in every situation. It was just because it was a, it was a planned move. Yeah. Um, yeah. What was that like when you were meeting him initially? Because, I mean, I can only imagine that you obviously are having feelings, but you have to manage those because yeah. you're, you don't, you know, you want to make sure that he's comfortable. Well, the idea was that we would, the first time we went, it was to that, to the house that he was in. And the idea was we were to have coffee as friends. Like so there was not to be a huge, big focus on, on him or anything like that. So it was, it was really strange. And it was just kind of strange as time went on, you know, kind of bringing toys with us, you know, mm. bringing this, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird experience. And it's, Again, it's that kind of double-edged sword where you're you're happy for you, but you're also very sad about the situation, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, yeah, it was um, very emotional. Yeah, it's a fe I mean, it's a, it's a very sounds like I mean I was going to say it's a very unique scenario, but I suppose it, there must be similarities across every foster parents' experience. Yeah, and I, I suppose people maybe come into it at different times and obviously there's there's a lot of um, parents that you know, there's a lot of foster parents who have their own children as well mm. um, yeah I, and I think for us it was just yeah it was just sorry to explain but it was just yeah we didn't really know what yeah. was going to hit us and it just yeah but we've been supported and um, along the way so it's been it's been really good like it's so if anyone is interested in thinking about fostering, I mean, really do pick up the phone and like, you can get, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone who would like to do that as well, you know, so we want to explore it a bit more and my number can be got through, through the TUSLA as well, so okay. even though I'm not here speaking on behalf of TUSLA, yeah. I'm, you know, um, I'm, I'm happy to, to do that. Yeah, you said it's hard to explain, but I think you're doing a really good job of mm -hmm. explaining it, yeah, you're, it's great insight. Um, so back to your uh, most memorable pregnancy or parenting stories, this one says, baby brain is a powerful thing. Several times I've driven long distances with coffee cups and my phone on the roof of my car. Um, a friend of mine was in Dundrum and she was packing everything back into the car with the baby and she forgot to put the buggy in the boot and reversed over it. Um, and there, was, there were people laughing at her while she did it. Again, how she escaped prison, I do not know. Um, being in Tesco with three small kids and hearing, can the owner of a green Fiat Punto please go to the information desk as it's blocking other cars. Um, I was incensed. I knew I hadn't, but when I went to the desk, they handed me my keys, which I had left in the lock. <laughs> I actually did that at work toward the end of my last pregnancy. Got to my car, couldn't find my keys anywhere. Walked out to the car, the keys were in the ignition, the battery was dead. Like, I just had walked off, like, left them there. I'm telling you, it is. The baby brain is very real. Um, most memorable parent, pregnancy or parenting story, three children playing nicely together with Duplo. No fighting. Magic. <laughs> Absolutely magic. Okay, so we're going to do some live polls now um, via our beautiful Mentimeter. So if you haven't locked it, logged in excuse me, to menti.com, um, you can see the code is up there, 896848. So we want to ask you, is everybody ready? I'll give you a moment. We've got some prizes, guys. I don't know what the prizes are, but I'm excited. <laughs> so, first question is, how long was your labor? Oh, under 12 hours? So jealous. Loads of under 12 hours. 
Okay. We've got one in the 36 to 48 hour category. 148 plus. Oh my God. I'm with you. I think I was 48 plus. Okay, identify yourself, 48 hours plus. You've won a prize. Hello. <laughs> you deserve a prize. Would you, be, would you be willing to tell us a little bit about? I, I'm a first time mum. So I went into labor naturally on a Monday morning, but I've been, they've been trying to induce, I was, had the baby here four months ago. Um, they wanted to induce me the week before. And I was like, I was on the Friday, I was in to get induced, and I was like, I don't want to get induced. I, I had planned a home birth, and it was all gone out the window. Yeah. So by, I was like, please just give me the weekend, and if, I'll get induced on Monday if I, I need to. And so, of course, I went into labor on Sunday night, Monday morning. I was like, yes, amazing. <laughs> but unfortunately, on the Friday, I'd been um, diagnosed with the, the Group B strep carrier thing. Right. So they were like, if your waters break, you have to come straight in. So I ended up in the hospital by like 9 a.m. on the Monday morning. And then I didn't have her till Wednesday morning. So, yeah, yeah it was long. But it, it was, it, it's like a blur now, you know. The yeah. time it felt like an eternity. But, yeah. um, no, the staff here were great. Yeah. And it was yeah. brilliant. Yeah, my first one was like that, except I wasn't juiced, except, but it just wasn't hot yeah it just took a really really long time it's so hard it's really hard to wait that time I think. yeah it's crazy because I, I literally went from wanting home birth and no drugs to like having the epidural yeah <laughs> you know everything and I'd, yeah. on, on to antibiotics every four hours and all that yeah yeah jazz, yeah so. well oh my god well for me by the time I came to like I was exhausted aside from anything else I needed that epidural yeah totally. I mean I'm a big fan of the epidural yeah no I am now I yeah. can't believe I was like I want a home birth if I had to do it again I'm like give me the drugs for sure <laughs> thank you so thank much you for the prize <laughs> you are welcome I hope you enjoy it okay next poll we want to ask you what was the most annoying thing your partner did during labor We've got some good ones up there. If anybody wants to elaborate, feel free. Speak. Speaking was the most annoying thing. Yeah, just their existence. Yeah, I can relate to that. Told me how tired and hungry he was. Yeah, yeah. Went back to sleep and said that you probably weren't in labor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're experts, aren't they? Yeah, they know, yeah. Talking about how tired he was. Yeah, that's a very common thing. I really think that needs to be like, you know, we get a lot of advice in pregnancy. Dads need to be told like, or partners need to be told, if you're not the person having the baby, then you don't get to complain. That's just, those are the rules. Um, kept checking the machines, put an open bottle of water against my head because I gave out about being warm. An open bottle, <laughs> whose was that? Is he still alive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, repeated, you can do this in a robotic voice over and over again, telling me how long it's been and betting on the time the baby was gonna come out tried to go back to work and said he'd come back at five because it would take ages anyway. <laughs> Guys, how many, are you all still together? Like, <laughs> impressive. Um, went back to sleep and said that you probably weren't in labor yet. Uh, went out to get food, nearly missed the birth. Then on the second child, I had to wait and he insisted on making sandwiches before taking me to the hospital. It is hard for them, though, I will, like, it's not as hard as it is for us, obviously, but I do think that they feel absolutely useless and just don't know what to do and then therefore automatically do the absolute wrong thing. 
Um, I think my husband knew just not to do anything or say anything, just to kind of sit there, um, which is what he did, thank God. And we lived to tell the tale so far. Um, okay, now this is just a general question if anybody wants to uh, stick their hand up. If you could go back to before you had a baby and tell yourself anything that you know now about pregnancy and parenting, what would it be? Anybody want to go back in time and give themselves a bit of advice? Maybe someone's listening and they might need to hear exactly what you've learned through your pregnancy or parenting journey. I'll put it to the panel then. What, if there's anything that you've learned that you would tell your pre-parenting self, what would it be? Well, for me, I would have liked to have children earlier, but I was too busy enjoying myself. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I do think, yeah, the younger you are, the more energy you have, so yeah. definitely don't leave it too late. Yeah. Um, and not that I regret, like we had some good times beforehand and have continued to have, but I wish sometimes I had a bit more energy for it all. Yeah. But that could be related to my situation as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but I always say to the younger guys in work, don't leave too late. You know, yeah. have them soon. <laughs> yeah. It's hard though. It's yeah. so much fun not having kids. Yeah. Well, it's in this <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard in that it's hard it for hard. people to establish their homes. Yeah. You know, from yeah. a cost point of view. Well, that's it. At yeah. a young age too. So yeah, financially and other, logistically. Yeah, yeah, financial constraints. There's other reasons why people don't. But yeah. for us, we were just enjoying ourselves yeah. too much. Yeah, well, so was I. <laughs> um, Sarah, what about you? Um, I, I think it would be that it's okay to be just good enough. Yeah. Mm. I think that's really important. I think you kind of beat yourself up and you kind of think you should do this, this and this. And it was, it was actually really good advice that we were given it's that, that it's okay to be just good enough. Yeah. Yeah, so try and remember that. Yeah, yeah. And there's no perfect parent. Doesn't nope. exist. No. Nadine, what about you? Mine would definitely be trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Mm. It doesn't mean you're right, but listen <laughs> to them. So um, my little guy was about six hours old, and I thought, there's something funny going on here. And there was. His blood sugars were low. He was up in the NICU for a little while, a few tests, antibiotics. No danger, but definitely I couldn't believe that a couple of hours into the birth, I was like, there's something wrong here. And yourself during your own pregnancy, if something doesn't feel right, get it checked. The worst case is they tell you you're fine. Yeah. But ignoring it if there is something wrong yeah. is worse than just being told, yeah, you're grand, go home yeah. or something. So and I think that's good advice for life and, exactly. and in general with yeah. health. I mean, I'm sure you'd agree, Nicola. Certainly that would be what I took away from my cancer experiences. Yeah. That I, I always send people to the doctor on a yeah. weekly basis. <laughs> Yeah, get well, checked. like, get checked, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, better, better to know than, you know, end up regretting not knowing. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, and thank you so much to everyone who contributed today. Thanks for taking part in our polls and sending up your wonderful advice. We really appreciate it. Thanks for coming. It's been a lovely morning, and thank you so, so much, Nicola, Sarah, and Nadine, for sharing your experiences, and Pilot for being here. I think he enjoyed his star turn as well, although he might be just about finished with us now, I think. <laughs> um, so just to wrap up, just to remind you, you can follow us on at Real Mums Podcast or at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. Thank you to all of our guests, mums, and experts over the course of the series we really it has been very special meeting every single one of you thank you to the health research board for funding this project thank you all very much for listening everybody who came here just because they listened and liked the podcast like that's just means so much to us so thank you all very much this has been real talk with real mums